Welcome to NucleCast, the official podcast of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Each week, we bring you leading experts for a lively discussion on topics related to strategic nuclear deterrence. Our host is Dr. Adam Lowther, Director of Strategic Programs at the National Strategic Research Institute. The views of the hosts and the guests are their own. Welcome back to another great episode of NucleCast. Of course, I am your host, Adam Lowther, and today we have with us a truly great guest, Wendy Baca. You may know the name. She's been around the DOE Weapons Enterprise for 35 years or more, and you know she's a very experienced and capable lady who has done, you know, I was reading through her bio because we've only briefly talked in the past, and, and it was like, wow. She has really done some interesting and cool jobs. And today, she is the Program Manager for Weapons Knowledge Preservation and Transfer at TechSource. And she's trying to make sure that this much younger generation of engineers that's coming in to the weapons complex is learning all of those lessons from the generation that's getting ready to retire. It's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big issue. It's a big problem. It's a big challenge. So with that, Wendy, welcome to NucleCast. So let's start off by talking about this issue of knowledge preservation and transfer. It's not training. It's preserving the knowledge and the experience and the lessons that were learned over, you know, a 70-year period and then taking all that, you know, experience and knowledge and putting it in the heads of, of a generation of engineers and physicists and chemists that are very, very different from those who preceded them. How, how are you trying to make that happen? What are the challenges you're facing? How is it going so far? So it's, it's going well. Um, you know, t- the starting point is we we realize there is no college degree in nuclear weapons acquisition or program management. So uh, you can't hire anybody straight out of college, straight off the street. And um, so the, the program already, even when I started way back in 1987, um, I would go, I went in and followed a, a senior engineer around and there, it was an accepted uh, process. Uh, so we um, want to make sure that we have a version of that system in place um, that hits a larger group of people, which is why we do the knowledge preservation um, effort that TechSource runs to bring in students of so 15 to 20 people in the room, and we and we give them sort of a fast-paced uh, training. But we don't like to call it training, as we just said. But uh, going through the existing regulations, but but also adding in anecdotes and stories and and true things that can actually occur, so that this new generation can prepare themselves that it's not all going to be perfect. And, and, you know, there, there will be some bumps in the road and it's just a question of managing them. So is there a specific, you know, for me as a college professor and somebody who's been in the education business for a long time, is there a specific approach that you're using both for the preservation? You know, I mean, I've seen a lot of remastered, you know, for example, uh, test 
uh, video. Some of the old videos have all been remastered. We've seen a lot of sort of efforts to preserve these this historical archive. When it comes to preserving and then transferring knowledge, is do you have some specific techniques that you're using? You know, is it just good old fashioned OJT? What 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 is well, it? You know, the first thing we do is, on, depending on the subject matter, and we have 10 different modules that we teach, and it's divided among the weapons acquisition process. Depending on the subject matter, um, we are able to still find a few people in the system that have actually uh, done that work. And so those are our subject matter experts, and they come in and, and teach those modules. So if it's something that I didn't work directly in, and I had a great career and touched on most everything, so that's why I'm, I'm, I have such passion. I'm really glad to be here for TechSource. But um, I'll make sure that the, the subject matter expert that can give those stories and to talk about how this worked with the DOD or how this worked with the other government offices or that type of thing, and here's an example, um, that, they, that we've hired them. And uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting time to hire People that are thinking of retiring, you know, they're done working. They don't want to do this anymore. But it's but it's working well because there's so much passion uh, in the system. And and you know, I'm happy to say at least I established a network, and people will know me when I when I call and and uh, ask if they're willing. And they're always willing. I we rarely have somebody that says no. I want to retire and you know get a sailboat and be gone. So that that's our main uh, way to do it right now. And then we're going to keep building and building. So we need a succession plan because uh, things we've done will become completely obsolete in, in terms of what they currently do. And so that's what we've been working on. So it's a little bit, um, you know, not real formal, but uh, it's, it's definitely working. We've we got over 30 people in the group of subject matter experts. Well, let me ask you from, you know, you sort of came into the business near the end of the cold war. And then you've, you saw the drawdown and then you've seen the effort to modernize. And for you as you were an industrial engineer and focused on program management acquisition, I wonder from that, you know, four decades, have you seen the bureaucratic process get better, worse, faster, slower, more cumbersome, less cumbersome. How is how is that going? Such that if, for example, we have another sort of Manhattan moment where we, because of Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, we have to dramatically expand the arsenal. You know, I wonder would would we be able to do it, or is it, are the the wheels so slow and so cumbersome? that we could never do the Manhattan Project again? So, you know, I, I would say that the foundation is still there. Um, it will require, you know, versions of what they did in the Manhattan Project. They got a certain group of people in there rolling up their sleeves, you know, late at night. And, and we may need to do that um, initially to get everyone to transition out of uh, some of the things that have come into the system for, for various reasons that, that might have um, grown a little bit uh, in the system. We, we had an original acquisition process that the stockpile was built upon. And in response to inquiries and, and um, you know, some of our performance, you know, perceived issues in the past, we've added a few tools on there that may or may not be as beneficial. So it would take a group of people, uh, kind of a task force to come in and recommend to the management that, hey, 
let's back off on that because it's actually hasn't done us as much good and we need to you know get back to some of the original uh, program management um, efforts and uh, I think that would be I think that would go over well and I think we could accomplish it it would just be Again, very similar to the Manhattan Project. I was talking to somebody the other day that we would do a mini Manhattan Project where you get that small group of people that's tasked with making things happen. And I I wonder if, you know, like one of the big challenges is you, you think of all the sort of the science labs and then the production labs. And, you know, they're not, They've all changed their names to to be something other than purely nuclear weapons, right. uh, you know, like you know Detroit. Kansas City is, yeah, that you know because yeah. they wanted because they there was not a future for nuclear weapons there for a while, so therefore if we were we as a lab we're going to survive, we're going to be a national security lab, we're not going to be a weapons lab, so so I I wonder with these sort of transitions can can labs sort of, you know, transition out of nukes into national security and then go back, can they make these pretty significant swings in periods of what have historically been unstable budgets, you know, difficult programs, like the, the politics that labs have to deal with because of the nature of, of nuclear weapons. They, you know, they don't, go out and advocate for their programs. They're pretty careful and pretty quiet just because, you know, you've got uh, so many disarmament groups out there trying to kill the mission off. I I wonder how does all of that play in terms of making it feasible for the labs to, you know, plus up and grow as the strategic environment signals that, hey, we need to do more. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, the foundation, we were able to keep the foundation. Uh, Stockpile Stewardship Program is what, um, you know, Congress agreed that the the deterrent still needs to exist, even though we dismantled many weapons during that drawdown. Uh, So the foundation is there. Some of the people did move over to, you know, things I, I observed, solar, satellites, you know, things, but they stayed at the lab. And all of the labs. And so the labs still have the ability, I think, to bring some of those people back in. Um, when the life extension programs were starting to pick up, a lot of those people did come back and, uh, you know, brought some of their experiences with them. But I, I do think that we will be able to rebuild that um, foundation that we were able to keep. And, uh, you know, the political environment did did affect that as time went by. And, you know, people thought we were going to be able to be a world without nuclear weapons, and we're seeing lately that, you know, that that may not be the case. And in the in the United States is is going back to you know let's let's determine what we need to do for the future here in the in the deterrent. And so, if we had shut down many capabilities or many facilities, and and didn't keep shadows of some of those capabilities, I I would say that it would be much more difficult. But I think we were able to keep we were able to keep some of that. And I've, and I've, over the past, I've, we've reestablished capabilities and it's tough, but it's fun and you get the right people in there and it's, and it's a, you know, accomplishment. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think we could probably agree that pit manufacturing has sort of been one of these issues that's received a lot of attention. Yeah. 
and can we get it done? Can we not get it done? There are problems. Uh, is is this is this challenge for pit manufacturing one of human capital or one of infrastructure? So let's see. Human capital is definitely an issue, uh, and so we're using the knowledge preservation and transfer, giving that training uh, to uh, both both sites that are have the pit mission that that you've read about in the news, and then um, the uh, the facilities for any big rates we would have to we would have to make sure we had the, all the plans in place and activities ongoing to make sure those two facilities are up and running and can support. Um, you know, the rates that they're talking about. Uh, the, the one thing, too, is we have discussed the rates of pit production. Um, and, and, you know, we talk about this quite a bit is the, the joint program with, the, with our DoD customer and the delivery platform. Sometimes, you know, we need to get the pit capability up and running and established again uh, so that we can respond like we used to uh, safely through all regulations. Um, but we also need to make sure we're tied to our uh, DoD partners, and and we are, we're not, you know, too offset from the schedule. So I think I think we it's just a question of communication and teaming. Now, as you work across the DOE's lab infrastructure on preservation of knowledge, do you and as you look at it, because you you're an experienced program manager, do you see writ large? The bigger challenge is is with human capital or is it with, you know, because we hear frequently we need, you know, new facilities because these are original Manhattan project facilities. And we've talked about the aging workforce. That's been a big topic. How do you see that balance between the human capital in the infrastructure? So it's it's definitely a tight balance. And. Um, the infrastructure is ongoing, and I think there are some streamlining things that we, we would need to consider to get those facilities um, ready at the same time to, to support the, the schedules that we currently have. Um, the, the other thing, too, and, and this is blasphemy, but sometimes just a small adjustment to the schedule but still delivering um, still gets the job done. And, and, and I experienced that even during, you know, towards the end of the Cold War and making things happen. As long as we're demonstrating we can um, get some sort of rate and, and establish that production and, and uh, you know, stable production, then expanding that is, can happen in a year, in two years. And we're still, still meeting what the country needs for, for supplying to the deterrent and the, and the um, you know, DOD partners. So um, it's, but the human capital is where we really, you know, because you, you, like I said, you can't get a college degree in nuclear weapons and, and knowledge that way. And so having that, um, you know, junior, senior type uh, development with uh, new engineers coming along and new designers and new physicists uh, to make sure they understand all the um, idiosyncrasies of uh, weapons production is going to be very important. And then we now, can work on those. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at that time of the show where we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to do a little knowledge preservation here on Nuclecast. And I want to ask you as an experienced program manager, as you look back over 40 years, how has the 
evolution of program management and weapons acquisition changed? And has it changed for the better or for the worse and why? Okay. So, so you're listening to Nuclecast. We're talking to Wendy Baca. We'll be right back. This episode of Nuclecast is brought to you by the AMLA Deterrence Center, whose mission is to educate Americans about the nuclear enterprise and strategic deterrence. And we're back, and Wendy, I I posed a knowledge preservation question for you, so I'm going to turn it over to you. So let's see. I you know the the evolution is you almost can't compare between the way it used to be done and now, and and there are several root causes for that. Um, funding was a different situation, and so if we were to try to be successful again, I'd, I'd recommend we get back to some of that original funding. We used to have a uh, uh, direct and indirect budget pretty much in the weapons program, just two, two places. And now it's, there are a lot of different stovepipes. Congress needed some, uh, you know, visibility into to the way the money was going. And I think we could still show that, but get it back into sort of a more efficient way of managing the budget. And um, so there's that. And then the program management of, of just meeting with the labs and plants and the sites, um, there's been some confusion and we need to reestablish the roles and responsibilities so that the federal program manager's role is, is very clear and there's no maybe um, crossing the lines of the federal acquisition regulation and, and our M&O uh, contractor situation that we have. The DOE is the only entity that has M&O contractors, so government-owned contractor organizations. Um, that's a great thing, and, and we've evolved a little bit to more uh, like maybe some of the DOD, uh, DOD 5000 is their regulation where it's uh, contractor-owned contractor organizations. And and we would need to make more efficient and get back to that M&O contractor situation. Um, not that we've gotten away from it, but just to reiterate those roles and responsibilities of the of the design agency and the production agency and the role of the federal program manager. Um, and again, the facilities are going to be important to get the rates up because we have facilities today and we could, you know, function at lower rates, which is kind of how the Manhattan Project started. You know, they, they, they didn't have all those facilities at those rates uh, ready to rock when, when that all happened. And so we would, we would actually have to get back to something that of an understanding that it's going to take some time and just offer up efficiencies. Uh, for for ways of getting the job done. And and I think we can get there as a team. It's got to be a team. Yeah, I I looked at, uh, it's probably three three years ago, four years ago, I did a study on acquisition reform. And, you know, I just went out to go see what had previously been done. And what I found was that over the 10 years prior to me looking at it, there had been 165 acquisition reform studies. So... And so we already knew everything we needed to know about how to reform the acquisition system. But what we found was that, you know, when we have these 
major acquisition reforms every five to 10 years, they sort of are a little bit more efficient to begin with. And then, then that efficiency falls off and then they're as bad or worse than they were before. And we, so we never really make the programs and the program acquisition any better. And, and I almost think it's, you know, there's the, you know, the very famous example of Dar- Darlene Drury and in the air force and where, you know, she, uh, she was a program manager and she gave a contract to Boeing or somebody. And then she left and went and got, I think herself and her son hired by Boeing. Oh, and, and then to prevent that, to prevent what was essentially, you know, a few million dollars of corruption, you know, you put in a billion dollar process, you know, you, you prevent the million by spending a billion. Right. And so I, I wonder if, are we, you know, cause I, you know, just my experience with DOE is DOE is far more challenging than DOD in terms of trying to get things done. And it, it's just, there's a lot more process to go through. Has, has there been sort of an effort to trim and cut and create efficiencies or is it just because of the nature of what we're dealing with that we want all of that so that we can say, Hey, we were really, really careful. Uh, Yeah. Uh, What, what what is it? I think we've had some well-intended people that have come in uh, that again, didn't I'll say work their way up through the trench and, and thought that, and, and there's a lot of reactive, um, if Congress has a question, you know, we're, we're kind of like, okay, you know, they have concerns with us uh, compared to the Cold War, which was a blank check in the, in the national security mission. And, you know, we were, we, we were just tearing down roadblocks, you know, um, and maybe sort of a not so kind way. But um, I, I think if, if, you know, if we could, realize that we need to kind of like you're saying, Adam, we've added things on there and we haven't figured out why we're doing what we're doing. We're just reacting. But if we sat down and said, okay, here, what do we need to increase these rates and to do this? Because we need to articulate what needs to be removed. um, What things really are just being, you know, making us inefficient and maybe disorganized um, and get rid of them. And to take that chance and to not say, well, you know, it's it's in congressional language. We would have to go meet with Congress and say, you know, if we want to get these rates done, if we want to get these buildings built, we've identified these, you know, inefficiencies in our system that have evolved uh, over the years. And now we need to 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 remove those and give the give the rationale as to why it will be OK to remove some of those added things. But it's, it's all a process. You know, we can't just do it in a vacuum and and stop doing things. Um, and we need, uh, you know, to be able to check it out on the side and not be doing it by the program, which is what's happened a lot. Uh, and that never helps you because then you never do the same thing twice and you don't have the stability. As you deal with younger lab folks, engineers, physicists, do you see a return to the nuclear mission, sort of a, a refocusing on the nuclear mission across the lab, the, just that sense of this is our purpose? And and do you see an excitement about it? So, and then, yeah, I'm sorry. Let me ask a third question. 
do you see, you know, historically we could get the, the best and now you're competing with, you know, tech firms that, that can pay a lot more. And so, whereas that didn't really exist in the past. And so now you've got this, just so many different options for really good engineers to choose. Do you see that we're getting the best or so I've three part question. So let's see, I would say that I do see some excitement and, and uh, not to put a shameless plug in, but after we do one of our knowledge preservation classes, we do a, we do a critique and ask, you know, did you get, how did you, did you get a lot out of this class? Not what did you learn? Um, but you know, what did you get out of it? And, and there's a lot of excitement in those critiques. And so I see that, but maybe not so much beforehand. So they need to know that it isn't actually an exciting job. Now we're, we're up against a really tough thing because the, the big firms pay a lot of money and, you know, we're government entity. And so we can't offer that right off the bat. And so it's got to be the reward of the job. It's got to be the desire to help the country, you know, maintain the deterrent. And, and sometimes they just need to hear that. Uh, and then they're like, you're right. You know, my, I used to joke with some of my staff, um, you know, you're going to take a trip to Amarillo or, you know, Kansas City, and you're the only W78 program engineer on that plane. You know, there's probably more than one computer programmer, probably more than one, you know, doctor, nurse, um, but you're the only one in the world, you know, and, and that kind of thing really, really does help in this kind of competitive environment that the world world has. Uh, the other thing, too, is quality of life. So you will get a good quality of life, even when we're busy working, you know, the quality of life compared to things we've heard. And, and I do have some data of a, um, of a colleague that was, um, he was doing an uh, internship at Sandia and then found another internship with one of the, I'll just say, you know, um, other companies that, that hire people and pay a lot. And a person came back right away and said, I, I, I like the quality of life that I had at Sandia. Um, maybe the money was good, but I, but I want to be there. And, and, and to me, the mission is, um, and, you know, cinches it for me. Uh, but, you know, we're competing with, you know, why are these kids can't bring their cell phones in? And, uh, you know, they, they get tired of not being able to text. And it's like, well, what are they doing on their phone anyway? I mean, we, you know, we sort of joke. So, so yeah. it, it is that mission and that excitement. And that is why I, I am happy to be teaching the, doing the knowledge preservation because it's, there's nothing more fun than to see, somebody waiting on their clearance. And so they'll come into our class, which is unclassified and, um, and really get a smile on their face when we've told a story about, you know, some crazy little thing that happened one time deal. Cause it's so unique. Yeah. And I can imagine that for, you know, young engineers for, you know, for me as somebody who spent my career on the DOD side working, you know, the nuclear arsenal and, operations. I wonder for these new folks who probably don't have that much of a background in, let's say, testing, design, for them to actually get to to see the old videos and to hear from, you know, the designers. And that probably does breed a strong sense of, you know, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, with, with the way the world kind of has become, there's a little bit of despair of, you know, those were the good old days and, but we need to make sure that we're portraying it correctly, that, you know, it can, it can still happen again. Uh, the Nevada nuclear security site is still there. 
And, and I was out there recently and there's, you know, just the scenery out there and the history out there um, that, and, and there were some younger people on that trip doing this, this work that we were doing. And they were like, this is the coolest place in the world, you know, Joshua trees and, and everything. And, uh, and there, it's just an excitement that as long as we're out there and having a good time, it's, it's contagious. And, and so that's what I love to do with the younger, the younger people and, and it, and it's working. Well, now, as we get close to the end of the show, I, I oftentimes pull out my magic lamp and I want to let you make three wishes for my genie, Bob. And, uh, so if, if you can have those three wishes, Bob will grant them. What would those three wishes be in regards to what you'd like to see out of this knowledge transfer and this effort to maintain and, and, you know, build a more efficient and effective nuclear enterprise? Let's see. First wish would be, you know, that I continue to, to be able to find good subject matter experts that, that can also tell a good story. Um, we we want to excite these kids, so we don't want to go in there with drudgery. So that may be a minor wish, but it's going to pay dividends. Uh, and, and so that means that, that I need to be able to get with people that have been in the system. And, and of course, we have a lot of word of mouth ac- across our 30 people uh, that they, they'll find somebody and we'll bring them in. And, and it's always a good thing. So that's wish number one. Wish number two is when the time does come that we need to examine what we need to remove, figure out if there's anything we need to add, but for sure things that we need to remove, um, that there's a, uh, you know, a following to go ahead and and pursue that because it will take upper management and the government working with Congress and that type of thing. And, and we don't want to, we don't want to just say, oh, you know, we're stuck with it. I mean, it came down 10 years ago and, and this is what we've got. So that's my second wish is just to be able to to impart, you know, the importance of this and, and to be understood that we need to make some changes. And then my third wish is, and of course, I won't ask for ten, three more wishes, but um, <laughs> is, uh, uh, you know, just just making sure that people understand the mission and that there's not, um, you know, there's a lot of negativity in the in the whole world. But there's just more positive understanding that this mission is is there. And, and decided by the government and that it's, it's all worth it in the end. And it's, um, you know, if you, if you get on the soapbox in the Manhattan project and yes, there's good and bad there, um, for sure. And, and, uh, but, um, if, if the government in the country decides we need this deterrent to be improved, then we all get in there and rally together. All right. Wendy Baca, thanks for joining us on Nuclecast. Thank you, Adam. Take care. And thanks to you, the listeners, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye-bye. Well, I'm glad to see that Wendy and her team are trying to preserve all of that knowledge, you know, because that's one of the big challenges. And it's not only the knowledge that we're trying to preserve, because we've already lost many of the companies, you know, that, for example, built some of the key components that are in, you know, Minuteman 3, for example, And so, and, you know, we're, you know, trying to come up with alternatives and, and so knowledge is also sort of similar to, you know, the, the widgets that we need for our weapons and that preserving that knowledge, transferring that knowledge. And then in that process, getting young engineers and designers excited that, that to me is part of what I was really glad to see because, you know, you can win or lose based on 
on the morale of the troops. And so, you know, the lab folks need to have good morale. And I'm glad to see that Wendy was was working it. This has been a production of the Anwa Deterrence Center. Our executive producer is Kimberly Charrington. And this episode has been engineered and mixed by David Grunthal. Follow the show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Nuclecast. Listen, follow, and review the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.